Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will be addressing a question that manifests itself in all sorts of church traditions and expectations, from questions about service times and worship music uh, to liturgical styles and preaching and teaching. We're going to look at the scriptures to see what the very first gatherings of believers looked like and ask what is the purpose of corporate worship. Thanks for joining us today as we look to uncover God's design in creating a new covenant community. I've been wanting to make mention of this all summer long, um, but have you noticed how beautiful the flowers are when you walk in the church? Um, Chris, you've just got a green thumb. You do an amazing job. I've, uh, it's shameful to see the flowers that I try to plant, but it's just beautiful what you've done up there. And it's all glory to God, right? He, we plant the seed and he brings the growth. Uh, we see it as a metaphor here with the beautiful flowers out front. Um, do you notice the tall ones, though? My goodness, those sunflowers just keep growing uh, a foot each time I come to the building. Do you know <clears throat> there's this unique characteristic about a sunflower? Uh, when that top head is starting to bud out, the, the top flower as it's growing a sunflower will the plant will actually orient itself towards the east towards the rising sun and as the sun traverses the sky and makes its way to the west do you know what that plant does it follows it and watches it right as it goes down um, eventually as the, the head gets too large that it can't do that anymore um, the, the full-grown flower will always face east always looking for the sun, always orienting itself to the sun and its nourishment. What a great metaphor for the Christian life. Uh, Wouldn't it be a helpful reminder for you and I to hear, just like we can see in an illustrative fashion with a sunflower, you and I need to orient our lives such that they are ever facing the Lord. And that as we pray at the end of every service that His face would shine upon us, Wouldn't it be great if our faces as well were looking at him, receiving once more his mercy and love in our lives? Not on a Sunday only, as you heard so eloquently shared by Angela this morning. How foolish would that be if you only ate once a week? But instead to take every aspect of your life, every area of your expertise, everything that you enjoy from entertainment all the way to the work that God has given you to do. What if we oriented ourselves To always face Jesus. As we've been in this series called I Was Wondering, wonder needs and wonderment needs to be an aspect of our worship. And there were quite a few questions that all related to how and what do we do on a Sunday morning? Like, what is this? And so the question that pulls some of those together is simply this What is corporate worship? What, what, what is the whole idea behind gathering people together on a Sunday morning or at another time in the week? And what is it we're actually trying to accomplish when we gather together? Now, I can remember being grown up in the church and never really fully having an answer to this question. In fact, wondering, is that even a question that you're supposed to ask? I guess this is just what, you're, what you do, right? This is just what you do on a Sunday. You go to church. I think that if we never fully understand the purpose for our gathering, I think that what we might be left with is an, is an immature church, is Christians who never fully understand God's design for corporate worship. 
And so that's the question that we're going to seek to answer this morning. Before we do and look at a key passage from the book of Acts of the very first church gathered together, I want to begin with some definitions that we can kind of uh, get our terrain and um, uh, words defined so that we know what we're speaking about. And the first word that I want us to define is worship. Well, if we're going to ask the question, what is corporate worship? It's probably important that we first of all begin with, well, what is worship itself? The definition I have here on the screen is that worship is the centering, the submit, submitting or submission and service of your life completely around the triune God. That is what worship is. Now, many people think that worship is singing, right? Now, this is, this is the teaching, this is the sermon portion, and we did the worship earlier. Um, I was uh, even trained in a church, a much larger mega church, where we called it a worship set. Well, it's actually not worship. That's a, a better return for that would be praise. So we're, when we're singing, that's only one form of worship. Worship itself is a term that speaks to the orientation of your entire life. And whether you are submitting it to God and whether you are available in service for God. We won't look at the passages, but the first time in the book of Genesis where worship is used, it's spoken of Abraham as he is told by God to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham says, we, the boy and I, we will go up and worship. What did Abraham mean? Well, he meant obey God. You had submission modeled here by Abraham, characterizing and defining for us the word worship. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, um, the Apostle Paul says that in light of God's mercies, what he has done for you, you need to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of, uh, some versions here will say, worship. The word that's used there in Greek speaks of the duty that a priest performed in service to God. So how much of your body, how much of your life does God want for worship? One day a week? Give me a big resound. Turn to your neighbor and say no. No, that's not right. That's not, right. not one day a week. God wants all of your life. He wants all of your body. Love the Lord your God with all your mind and soul and strength. And what's the word I have? The key word up there? Heart. Teresa read the passage for us as Jesus in Matthew 15 addresses a vain form of worship. The words are quoted from Isaiah. These, peop these people honor me with their what? They honor me with their lips. But what is God really concerned about? Y'all with me this morning? What's God really concerned about? He's concerned about our hearts. That's what we use to worship God. All right. So, so this is something that each of us can individually find accountability and um, application for, right? You can ask yourself the question, is my life characterized with the centering of the triune God in every sphere? Do I seek to submit my will to his in every sphere? And have I offered my life in service to the triune God? You can answer that as an individual. What's the deal about when we all come together? When we all gather together, what does the corporate gathering of worship uh, look like? And what is it intended by God to produce? Now, before we can really look at that uh, answer, I thought it might be helpful to first list out what corporate worship isn't. So first of all, it's not membership. I don't have these in your notes. These are all actually, these are freebies today. <laughs> Uh, corporate worship is not membership. Uh, there are some people who, uh, for um, 
all intents and purposes, do not come to church, but they'll say, oh, I'm a member of a church. Uh, That's not corporate worship. I call that a token toast to a tertiary tribe. That's all that is. Uh, Corporate worship also is not mass. Uh, I want to be careful with this because, again, worship is something you do with what? You do with your heart, right? But what is the great error that has that has snuck into the tradition of the church through the mass? And I, I very simply want to say it's this. It's that you come as passive observers and you let the professionals do the worship. Is, is that how God designed it? Is that what it's supposed to look like? I don't want to throw all my uh, Catholic brothers and sisters under the bus here because, again, worship is something you do with your heart. So you could engage with your heart in any service that you attend. But the question is, is that corporate worship or is that individual worship? Because corporate worship is not a passive perceiving of professional piety. God never designed it that there would be hired a, a separation within the body of clergy and laity That's the tradition that we've inherited. And so if you just come and leave and you never have a role to play, you never have an investment in the growth of worship, uh, hear me, that's not corporate worship. It's not. It's possible for you to individually worship because worship is something you do with the heart. But if you are not contributing, if you think that it's my job and not yours, just let's agree that that's not corporate worship. Thirdly, it's not music covered this already. I'm calling it an emotional experience of energized enthusiasm. Had a little fun with alliteration on this. I don't know if you guys caught that. Worship is not music itself. In fact, many times it may be more appropriate for you not to sing and to just let the words penetrate your heart. I I know in my life that's a story I've shared before that the the harmonies of singing sometimes distract from the glory of God in my life. And so I'm better served just to let my lips be silent such that my heart can worship because worship, corporate worship is not uh, predicated upon music. And lastly, it's also not a simple meeting. I'm calling this a homogeneous houseful of happy homies. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. I had a little fun with that. What, what, what do I mean by this? Uh, corporate worship is not your little group of friends. It's not the men's ministry. It's not the women's ministry. It's not the children's ministry. Those are homogeneous groups. Homogeneous meaning they're all the same. They're they're made up of the same type of individual. Corporate worship includes the, the, the entire spectrum of society. All the way from the little bitty babies that we have. And hear me folks. You and I need the little bitty babies in church. All the way to the old retired folks who sometimes when I'm preaching they... Listen, you need both of those in church. We need a heterogeneous. We need the full spectrum. And so you can have individual worship in a smaller group. That's completely permissible, expected, but it's not corporate. There's something that's unique that God is doing when the, the assembled body of believers gathers in one place. Why do we do this? Why do we come here? And this is the answer that we're going to try to seek to find today. The definition I want to give you is this. The purpose of corporate worship is the establishment of a new covenant community for a spirit-led witness to the world of God's kingdom and Christ's rule. 
corporate worship has a purpose. You and I gathering together as one group, coming and setting our own whatever uh, status aside, our own agendas aside for the betterment of the body. When you and I learn to do that, we are actually, by God's spirit and design, we're establishing something. We're establishing a community. It's a unique community. This, I just picked one verse, but we could, have, we could have, dozens of these would have sufficed. This from Titus 2. I love what Paul says to Titus here. He says, in regards to the gospel, right? He gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, what? A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I think this might be the best little Polaroid picture, a little snapshot in the Bible of the church. We all come here defined, not by a gathering of uh, those who need um, pseudo-therapeutic help. You you might thought that's why you came here, but that's not why we gather here. You gather here because you've been defined according to the blood of Jesus for your sins. God gave his son for you, for your sins, to redeem you and to begin a new work of creation on the earth, a people. Do you get it? A nation. Uh, The word I used was a community. Who belonged to who? Belonged to God. We are a people of his very own. And then this back half here, this last little phrase, eager to do what is good. Well, that's why why we come and learn and listen. We we need that form of encouragement for one another. And so uh, these being the definitions that we're working with, understand that worship itself is a life orientation predicated upon the posture of your heart. Not just your lips. Not just how you decided to dress today, not how beautiful your hair looks. You, you and I, we come into worship by virtue of where our hearts are today. But corporately, as we gather, something else happens. Not individual worship, but an establishment of a community. Think with me of a community for a moment. Um, you, need to have a, you need to have a butcher, right? And a baker. And a What? And a candlestick maker, that's right. Yeah, no, no, you, you get the point. What, what do you need in a community? Well, you need a diversity of giftings, right? You need somebody who's good at mechanics. You need teachers. You need law enforcement. Uh, you, you need a wide variety of giftings to make a society, a community function. I want to encourage you today to think of the church in the same way. You have a role to play here. You're, you're part of the community, and so you need to be a contributing member of this community such that it is established and centered itself by the leaning of God's spirit to say God's kingdom is coming. This is what it looks like, and Jesus is ruling. Amen? All right, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Acts chapter 2. Two Bibles, one five five two. Page 1552 in the Pew Bibles. Thank you, Tom. So in Acts chapter 2, we have the Holy Spirit has descended here upon the apostles. We have uh, men and women gathered from every nation hearing the proclamation of God's glory. And the apostle Peter here stands up and he's delivering a message uh, of hope, a sermon. And in this sermon, uh, it's an evangelistic call. He gives the command to repent. And the people who are listening, do you know what they do? Not a trick question. <laughs> they repent. And they turn their hearts to God to place their trust in Him. In doing so, 
the church explodes in numbers. It gets very big, very fast. And as Luke here as a historian is going to be recording for you and I what happened, what was the characteristic of how things went down with this exploding church? I mean, imagine if we added 3,000 members to Grace today. Can you imagine that? Uh, we'd be here eating a long time probably, right? If, if that's what we have. That, that'd be incredible. That's what happened for Peter at this time. And so Luke says, uh, it, by the Holy Spirit's leading, here were the characteristics that defined this community, this group of believers as they would gather together in Acts chapter 2, if you look with me starting in verse 42, Luke records. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad in sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Great passage, isn't it? Thank you, Luke. Thank you for recording for us uh, what that early church looked like. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at those characteristics. The question here is, what are the biblical characteristics of corporate worship. And you'll see them listed out very clearly in verse 42. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, to fellowship. Thirdly, to the breaking of bread. And fourthly and lastly, prayer. I'm not sure if you even realize it, but every time we start a Sunday morning service, when I give the welcome, I try to remind us of this. Why are we gathered here? What do we do here? And I, I go through, uh, and maybe if you never knew that, you'll catch it every time now that we've been through this. But these are those characteristics that defined this early church gathering because it was an establishment of a certain type of people, a unique people belonging to God. Now, as true as these are, if we look into the text, you're going to see that there are some requirements that are going to flow from these characteristics. Right? Remember, worship, there, quiz time, ready? Worship is something you do with your, with your heart, okay? And so as we look through the rest of this passage, what you and I are going to see are the necessary heart requirements, those contingent uh, characteristics of your life that will define how and what the church does when they meet together. And I want to offer those to you now. Uh, the first requirement is they had a God consciousness. God Consciousness. If you look with me back into the scriptures at verse 43, right? We have our list of four in verse 42. And the verse 43, it's Paul, uh, Luke records, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. Now let's ask the question, who were these Christians impressed with? Were they impressed with the apostles? I'm asking the question rhetorically as if you're like, I don't think, I don't think it's that. I don't think yes is the answer. We need to make sure that we get this clear, right? The early Christians were not elevating the apostles. It was the work that was done by the apostles. 
I was in a meeting this past week with uh, pastors uh, scattered across the East Coast. We meet quarterly, and uh, one of them just decided to, to give a testimony as we were sharing prayer requests. How in his church, it's a small little church, a church of about 30, uh, they had a new member who, who came in, and he was struggling with uh, PTSD. Um, he had experienced things that uh, were extremely hard for him to process and work through, and one of the manifestations of that um, uh, plight upon his soul was that he, he lost the ability to open his eyes. Uh, he went to see a doctor, and as the doctors uh, examined him, uh, they said that functionally everything looked fine, but he, he just he couldn't open his eyes at all. And so as he's been in the church for a, a couple of weeks, um, the, the elders of the church gathered together with him, and they just said, you know what, let's pray about this. And so as they quieted their hearts, and as they turned to God, they prayed that his sight would be returned to him. And guess why I'm telling you this story? Because he opened his eyes. And he, it, it, again, he, he functionally didn't have blindness. It just was, it was, it was an issue that was lingering because of the oppression he was feeling in his soul. And yet it was the gospel. It was reliance on Jesus that in that moment, do you know what he did? He opened his eyes and he could see. And do you know what all the church people did? They gave the pastor a promotion. <laughs> no. No. Who did they credit for that? God is the one that they credited for that. I want you to see that's the exact same posture of the heart of these early Christians. They were in awe at what was happening through the hands of the apostles. But it wasn't because they were impressed with the apostles. They were impressed with God. Secondly, what's a requirement? There was mutual concern. Look with me again in verse 44. All of the believers. Does your Bible say all? Yep. All means what? All. That's it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. That sounds like communism to me. I don't know about you. Guys. Hold on. Time out. Not communism. Do you know why? There was no government agency that was taking from the rich and giving to the poor. That wasn't what was happening here. How, how were they being generous? Out of their own what? Out of their own hearts for one another. The, the picture was this. They saw such a mutualism in their relationship. An identity that, that divided the, or, or that separated, that stripped away all of the uh, additional societal hierarchy that we find. All that's gone. In the earliest church, you could have um, the wealthiest person who owned many houses and a slave. You could have them sitting at the same table, breaking bread and sharing with one another. And those who had a lot knew that there were others who didn't have as much as they did. And so the text tells us that one of the requirements here of worshiping in the early church was having a mutual concern for one another that wasn't predicated upon taxes or government. The text says each person, as they saw someone in need, was generous with their possessions so that everybody had what they needed. I think the best metaphor I can think of for this is a family. What's your, uh, what's your favorite food to eat? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I like. I like steak. Anybody with me there? Any amens in church? Yeah, all right. I like steak. I put them on the grill uh, the trick to it is you, you put some salted butter on it right on the grill. Makes all those carcinogenic uh, flavors just awesome. 
So we're, we're sitting down for dinner, and uh, I'm eating my steak, and we give Sadie a little one, and she gobbles this thing down like that. And do you know what she asks for then? She asks for mine! <laughs> and, and I had the biggest one, because of course, that's how it goes in my house. <laughs> so what do you think I did? What do you think I did as a loving father when I see my daughter who needs more? I take from what, as hard as it was for me, folks. I, I take from what I had and I share with her. Now, how, how am I able to do that? Because I didn't go down the street and give it to my neighbor. I, you know, I didn't go looking for somebody. How and what was the nature of my heart that made that so easy to be generous with what I love and what was mine? Do you know what it was? It was the family. It was the nature of the family. And so mutual concern here as a requirement for corporate worship is only going to work so long as as you look across the aisle this morning, as you look back and forth at those who come here to worship and you don't see them as, well, I guess they're in our church now. I don't know why they're here. And uh, Hold on. That's, that's not how this thing's supposed to work. We're a family here. And by virtue of being a family, all of those natural uh, tendencies that you and I feel towards commitment, faithfulness, accountability, all of those are designed by God to be a flow and a natural outgrowth of the relationship that we share with one another. This is why the church was able to have mutual concern in selling their possessions and giving to anyone who was in need. Number three, there's social consistency. Social consistency. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet together. You guys ready for church tomorrow, Monday morning? You guys ready? Get going. Amen. Thanks, Jesse. That's right. Let's get together. Now, uh, I fully understand how uh, the world we live in, different from the world that they lived in. Nevertheless, don't miss it. Pay attention to what was the requirement that led to the mission of God's favor and numbers being added daily. Do you know what it was? In this case, it's a consistency in their worship. I could preach on this for a long time. I want to just make it real short for you. Um, there's, there's many folks that we have not had opportunity to see week after week after week. Even as I look around, I see folks that aren't here. I want you to know when you're not here, that's not just a, a place when you miss out on being together with the body. We miss out. We miss you. If you're going to have, by God's design, a community of people that grow together, I want you to, I want you to hear that fostering those relationships is designed by God to be seen with consistency and a commitment to one another. Now, I guarantee you, you're going to be offended. Waiting for an amen on that. Right? I guarantee you at some point, as you come to worship God, the sinners who are also redeemed by, the, by grace, by Jesus' blood, We're going to offend one another. So we need something greater than our own particular desire of getting along or finding someone who we like to draw us back together. And it has to be the commitment of a family and a consistency that's seen. If if, if you miss out for, for weeks or months of worshiping together with the community, we're going to lose some of that, those characterizing identity features of what corporate worship is. Because we need to have that faithfulness to gather together with one another. We're going to look at that more in a moment as to what causes that in our lives. But fourthly is this. There was public cooperation. So again in verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together. Look where they're meeting. The temple courts. 
They're meeting out in public where all of the watching pagan world around Jerusalem is able to look and see, oh, look at this. These followers of, as they called back then, the way, that's what the earliest Christians called their expression of practice and worship to Jesus, they keep gathering together. And they're gathering in this really unique fashion. In fact, it didn't stop here. Look with me, continue on. They broke bread where? Look at Paul Jacobs for a minute. See if he catches and Paul, Paul Jacobs here helps serve our church and uh, uh, getting our life groups healthy and functioning. Uh, I want to say that it would be incorrect for us to examine this text and think that this is getting it done. We, we, would, we would be failing at recognizing a key characteristic within the early church, which was the public gathering of everybody corporately together was then seen in smaller groups that would then go and meet together regularly with that type of social consistency. Where? In each other's homes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Amen. Now, uh, our, our uh, Dominican Republic team, you heard Angela reference them. Like, we met for a full year. We met every single month together. And I got to tell you, folks, I feel so much closer to those folks because of those regular meetings that we had. But those meetings didn't happen by accident. Like, they would get scheduled, and then we had to move things around in our schedule in order to make it there. But I feel closer to those Christians in this church than pretty much any others other than my own life group uh, that we meet with. Why? Because we had a cooperative effort of gathering both publicly and then carrying that public gathering into the privacy of our homes together as Christians. Are you guys with me? We've seen this. These are all key requirements that are happening within the church that define the characteristics of corporate worship. So what do we do with this this morning? I want to submit to you four uh, four things that are, are uh, the expression of those requirements in regards to those four characteristics. You guys still with me on them? Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So, um, uh, but before I, I talk about this first one, I also want to just make note of the word devoted. Did you see that in verse 42? They devoted themselves to these things. That's a word that I, I use in weddings. Right? When, when you have a, a bride and a groom up here and they're sharing their vows, will you be devoted to one another? I, I looked up the, the word originally in Greek and it means like a, a Velcro. They didn't have Velcro, but it's like Velcro, ad- adhesion to one another or to a, um, to a characteristic. Met with constant readiness. That's what it means to be devoted to these things. Not some token, I'm a member of a church, but I don't ever go. Or I sit there and watch the guy we pay do all the work. Like that's, that's not what it means to be devoted. So what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? First of all, it means a communal receptiveness of God's word. When the apostles taught, being taught by Jesus... They teach with an authority, but not because they are apostles. They're teaching with an authority because apostleship was something commissioned by who? By Jesus. Their authority was not resident within themselves. It was a foreign authority applied unto them by Jesus' commission. And so to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means, for corporate worship, that means Communally, all of us here together, we need to be receptive 
to God's teaching. Um, I have this passage from 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, and he's talking to the church in Thessalonica. He says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man or men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in all those and in you who believe. And so three ways in which I think this is important. Number one, authority. Number two, admonition. And number three, accountability. Um, When we're talking about authority of communal receptiveness of God's word, it's not because I'm saying it. I, I am not the boss. I am not the authority. I am not the one in charge. In fact, elders designed by God within the church have zero authority. They, however, speak with the authority of what? What are we talking about? The word of God. This is where authority uh, resides. And elders are those who are called and tasked with making sure they are able to correctly handle and deliver that which God has revealed. And so understand, authority is not resident in any apostle or preacher or elder. The authority rests in God's word. Give me an amen if you're with me on that one. Yeah. All right, good. Number two, it, um, because authority, the, the question uh, that we're looking for says, I'm not in charge. By the way, church, I say that. I, I'm not in charge. Um, I love it every time uh, George asks me in church as we're getting stuff together. If you come here early, you'll see how crazy it is. And George says, are you in charge of this meeting here? And I was telling him, nope. <laughs> Jesus is. <laughs> Jesus is the one who's in charge. Same for me. Absolutely. Uh, Number two, with an admonishment, this says that, you know what? I might be wrong. You might be wrong. The way that you have learned as pattern to characterize your life in this world might be wrong. And so do you know what the word of God does? A communal receptiveness means that I am willing. In fact, I'm inviting the word of God to correct me. Um, I won't get into the details of some progressive and liberal churches that are out there, but very recently, uh, through a text string, saw one that's once more championing the LGBTQIA plus agenda and says uh, in the um, comments that God wants you just the way that you are. And in essence, to just live your true, authentic life. And God doesn't want anything more of you. Um, if that was what is taught from, from the church, it's a departure from God's word. And do you know why? Because we're, we live in a world that's so afraid to offend people. The word of God is designed to be offensive to sinners, Any sinners in church this morning? So at some point, if we're going to do corporate worship properly, we have to recognize that the apostles' teaching is received to admonish me, to admonish us and to correct and to bring us into a path of holiness. If you're not on board with that, then you're not on board with corporate worship. That's that's the long and the short. And lastly here has to do with accountability. So uh, all, all three of these work in conjunction with one another. But there is ought to be within the church a mutualism within our desire to see each other live according to God's word. What do we call that? It's called account- accountability. I am accountable to God's word. The Bible says don't judge one another as if we're going to build somebody up or, or build ourselves up by tearing others down. That's not how we're supposed to judge. 
He says, judge in the same way you want to be judged. Well, I desire to walk in fellowship with Jesus. How about you? Amen? Amen. I, I want to walk in unity with the Holy Spirit every step. And if I'm out of step and you see me out of step and don't say anything, is that going to help? No. So corporate worship, in the same way that I think this is easy for us to catch with our children, right? Right, parents? Right? You see your kids acting a certain way that's out of step with your home's values? Do you say, well, that's just who they are. I don't know. I don't want to offend them. No, I say, get your butt in here right now, Mr. or Miss, whatever. I won't pick on him this morning. But. Do you see how easy it is to do with family? Isn't this a family? So that's the first one. Number two, devotion to fellowship means Christ-centeredness. Um, this is critical. When we're looking at fellowship, we do not mean gathering to encourage each other for encouragement's sake. At that point, I want to say all non-believers, atheists that give condemnation over what we do on a Sunday morning, they are 100% correct. This is worthless. This whole meeting is worthless if our fellowship is defined by your need for encouragement. That's not how, that's not how fellowship is intended to work. In fact, let me show you the best passage from the New Testament. This is Hebrews 10. But writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There it is. Do you all see encouragement in here? Why does the writer of the book of Hebrews want them to do this? All the more as you see the day approaching. What's that day he's talking about? It is the return of Jesus. So let's make sure that we lock this one down loud and clear. That the purpose of the fellowship is not encouragement for encouragement's sake. The purpose of our fellowship is because we have centered our lives around Christ and his return. In fact, the reason I want to encourage somebody is not for encouragement's sake, but is because Jesus is returning. If we miss that we will have a vain form of fellowship that asks questions like, well, why wasn't there enough coffee this morning? And why didn't the donuts taste better this morning? What? That, that will be the result of our fellowship if you think it's for you. Because it's not. And we all need to be part of fellowship. Re- remember, this is a characteristic of corporate worship. So if you're not devoted like Velcro to fellowshipping with one another, well, don't pretend like you're doing corporate worship. Because that's a key characteristic of what it means when we gather together. What I want us to see this morning is that the the defining feature of that fellowship is being centered around Christ. And not around our desires with respect to time or diet or how much room there is between the chairs back there. Right, Dan? I I see uh, it's pretty tight in our church, folks. It's the way it goes. All right, number three. What does it mean devoted, devoted to the breaking of bread? It means selflessness. Uh, The Bible in no better place in dealing with the question of communion and the meal that they would celebrate together uh, is found uh, other than in 1 Corinthians 11. This is the passage, and I have two in Paul's admonition to the church in Corinth. He says, so then when you come together, remember, coming together is corporate worship. As they're gathering for corporate worship, he says, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead without waiting for anybody else. As a result, one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Then in verse 33, he says, So then, brothers, when you come together, what should you do? I, I think I preached on this like a couple weeks ago, right? So we're somewhat familiar with this. What, what's the key takeaway from this? Well, when it comes to communion, 
when it comes to the meal of remembrance, it must be defined by selflessness, not selfishness. As I was giving thought to this in my preparation, I asked myself the question, so what is it that stifles that community, like that building together of the body when we, when we want to celebrate communion with one another and remember what Jesus did. And I, I wrote these down. I said, fear might be part of the reason that we don't want to participate or be with one another. I, I wrote down a compartmentalization of faith. That's a big one. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? I, Sundays for Jesus, the rest for me. You, you can't do that. that. In fact, last week, do you remember us talking about that? Sacred and secular? That, that's a make-believe world, right? All of it is under God's government, Christ's rule. I wrote this down. This is a big one. Unforgiveness and judgment. The, the Gospels continually will have an emphasis upon the defining feature of the church as a forgiving people. Do you know what the devil wants to do? What's the devil's scheme to divide the church? Cause the offenses that show up to be lasting pillars of division. That's a win for the devil all day long. Uh, misunderstanding of the church. I wrote down, see the earlier errors. Um, no commitment. An idolatry and misprioritization of work, career, busy schedules, entertainment. Everything that I just listed there. Do you know what they all have in common? Self. They're, they're all looking at me. Uh, the Bible teaches us that the defining feature of a church in corporate worship is that we actually wait for one another. Now, how many of you... Just excel at patience. You're just the most patient. I got a bunch of honest Christians this morning. No, no, right? Yeah. Um, be careful paying, praying for patience. God will give you opportunity to be patient. This is exactly why the heterogeneous nature of the fullness of the community is needed. You need people who drive you crazy. You do. You, you need that challenge in your life so that you learn to depart from a feeding frenzy of self. It's toxic to you. But the world is going to confuse you on that and has brainwashed much of us to think that feeding the self is what it's all about. So if I'm not getting what I want from church, well, I'm just not coming. No, that's not how God's designed it within you. We have a commitment to one another that we need those little rough edges of sandpaper on each other uh, that we learn how to be patient and we learn that we're sinners too. And that we learn to extend grace to those who offended us just as we ourselves need forgiveness and grace. Amen on this one? You guys with me? All right, lastly, number four. Uh, it means um, a devotion to prayer means single-mindedness. Being single-minded. Uh, this passage from Philippians 1, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Who, who's Paul talking to there? The whole what? The whole church. He's talking about within corporate worship, you need to conduct yourselves in the right manner. Well, what's in your instruction on this, Paul? He says, so I know when I come to you, that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In the next, just like two verses later, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, and make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. If we're going to be devoted to prayer, all of that is predicated upon a single-mindedness within the body. 
You, you can't have one person praying, well, Lord, I pray that this goal of the church fails, and this person over here praying, well, I pray it succeeds. You can't have that for your prayers to be answered in corporate worship. And prayer is a key component of what we do when we come together. So how do we pray right? How, how do we make sure that our petitions before God are heard by God? It all rests on being single-minded, which you might understand actually goes back to this one of selflessness. Um, it's like football season now. Any amens on that one? Yes, amen. Football. Yeah, so I got a lot of football illustrations going on in my heart, right? But when I coached football, um, it reminded me in listening to some of the kids as to when I played football on recess. And you guys with me, right? Recess out in the park, pick up ball. That's a lot of fun, right? Well, if you're the guy with the ball in charge, this is what I bet you can remember happening. All of your buddies come up to you in the huddle and they all say what? Pass the ball to Yeah, pass the ball to me. Hey, I'm open. No, I'll do this. And the whole thing breaks down. The whole thing doesn't work. Because what are they all interested in? Are, are they single-minded as one team? Are they all working together for one? No, of course they're not. They're only thinking about what's going to benefit them. So they lack single-mindedness. All right, what do we do with this? And th- this is where I want to challenge you and I um, this morning. How can we, in looking at the definition of corporate worship, how can God's word be applied into our lives? So, by the way, just as we get to this point in the message, if you're not on board with this part, I don't know why you came. <laughs> like, this is what we need to do. We need to evaluate where our own lives need growth. And so that's how I want to challenge you in these next couple of minutes. You'll see that I have printed for you in your uh, sermon notes some little bubbles to fill in. Uh, the question here is, are you contributing to the establishment of the community? So question number one is, are you receptive or resistant to the apostles' teaching? When God's word is shared, are you sitting there to, listening to learn or listening to say, eh, I don't know. I, I got two illustrations here or, or to show you. Good football picture here, right? So if, if the football is God's word, which of these two are you? Are you the guy who's looking to, oh, I'm looking to catch it. Or are you the guy who's looking to smack it away? Or are you not looking at all? Ball hit, hit you in the face, right? So this is what I want to ask you to do. You have your sermon notes there, right? You, you got little five little bubbles. I didn't give you a yes or no. You got a little gradient work to make the decision on. Which are you? Answer the question. When it comes to the teaching of God's word, are you, are you a receiver? Are you receptive to it? Or are you kind of resistant to it? Number two, when it comes to fellowship, are you engaged or are you an escape artist? I got a little picture here to help you with this as well. So, so if you can see the personalities of these two dogs, one of them just loves to give hugs, right? And what is the other one thinking? Get me out of here, right? So when it comes to the commitment of the body, which are you? Where do you fall on that spectrum? Because to play church is not going to help anybody. And when corporate worship is examined from God's word, it's designed for the purpose of building a community. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to be the most friendly, bubbly person like Lois with everybody. That's not what that means. But what that does mean is you, you need to have a commitment to being involved, to being engaged. So look at those little bubbles, circle one of them, put an X on them, wherever you fall. I know, don't just mark you're perfect on all these also. That's not going to help. <laughs> Number three, 
Are you serving or are you selfish when it comes to the community and with the Lord's Supper, with communion? The picture I have for you on this one is, um, I think a sponge might be helpful. Right? Are, are you looking to be the person who's just soaking up for me? Uh, serve me. Why, why wasn't this set out right? What, when is this supposed to end? Like what, if, if that's your attitude, you're, you're kind of selfish when it comes to the community. Or are you like the faucet? Are you, are you pouring out? Are you giving of what you have, which is totally different maybe than the person next to you, but it's unique to you. Are you using what God's given you to bless those around you in the community? So you've got five bubbles there. Put an X, fill in somewhere where you fall on that question. Lastly, uh, when it comes to prayer and single-mindedness, are you spirit-led or are you self-determined? Um, I thought this was a helpful little picture. Um, are, are, you, are you the one who's always saying it the way you want it to be? Or are you the one who's actually listening to the Spirit of God? And one of the things that grieves my heart sometimes is a confusion over the way in which the world has structured things. So that there is this thought that piety looks different than the, the way uh, God's Word says it. When really the issue is, it's a hardness within our hearts because we're not listening to what God is doing. It grieves my heart when I hear that. It gets characterized sometimes with the phrase, well, this is how I was raised. Or this is how we've always done it. Or it's, uh, it's hard for an old dog to learn. What we, you know, it, it, it gets phrased a lot of different ways. You know what I think it is all the time? I think it's, you know what, I'd rather be, I'd rather just do it the way I want to do it. I'm more comfortable doing it my way. And if that's going to be the characteristic of what defines us as a church, don't pretend that it's corporate worship because it's not a single community. At that point, it's your own little state in the nation of Segola or whatever it is. That's, that's not what God's about with this. My, my hope is that as we get a chance to examine God's word on this subject, we see worship as something that each of us individually get to engage in and that corporately as we come together, God is going to be defining a people who are his very own, who look different from the rest of the world, who share everything that they have in common with one another, who live very light on this earth to help those who are in need, who meet regularly, consistently with one another, encouraging each other, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And the last thing that I want to show you, if, you, if you're still with me in the book of Acts, look down at the very end. What, what is the blessing of God that happened? And it's missional. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What a blessing that is, right? Here's what I think that would look like at our church. All of us. Not not one looking this way, another looking that way, but all of us looking corporately at Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.